Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. And I'm so fortunate to be able to chat with Emmy winner Chris McKim today. Um, He's known for his executive producing work over the years for RuPaul's Drag Race. And in 2017, he won a Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Special Class Special for his documentary film Out of Iraq. Um, And he also won last year's Freedom Award at LA Outfest for the film Frida Got a Gun. Um, But here I am... Right now, I'm here to talk to him about his latest, newest film, which is the autobiographical portrait of the life of noted New York artist, writer, photographer, and activist David Wojnarowicz, um, which is certainly in the spotlight um, nowadays. Um, so, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Well, thank you so much for being here or having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. yeah. So I want to start getting into David and your personal connection to him. I guess with the documentary side that you've invested so much time in over the past few years, can you speak a little bit about how you first known, discovered him as an artist and as an activist? Um, well, you know, I was aware of David's work, but it was really through this process that I, I mean, it sort of blew away anything that I, that I knew before, um, you know, coming into the project. And it really, you know, it came about and it was, I guess it was July 2017. And we were like six months into, you know, the Trump presidency at that point. And I was feeling pretty low as many people were um, and trying to figure out what my next project was going to be. And, you know, um, it that point, I realized that um, up to that point, there hadn't been um, really a, a film about David's life. There was a great autobiography, or I'm sorry, biography that had come out, and of course, his own books um, and everything. And that was about a year before the Whitney show, um, the right, big retrospective. And, you know, the thing about David's work and his writing and his art, it all um, felt like it was speaking to the moment we were living in, in that moment in July, 2017. And it seemed like, um, I mean, obviously his life is a perfect opportunity to, to explore and really like something that should be showcased and highlighted, but it was also an opportunity to, to do something to me that felt like um, I was proactively doing something about the present, um, while also really showing that David's work was very relevant to what was happening um, and is happening all around us. Mm-hmm. Um- you know, David is perhaps best known for using his work as a weapon to sort of criticize the government at the time throughout the 80s when he was um, most prominent, um, sort of waging war against the establishment and the government's indifference towards the AIDS epidemic throughout the 80s up until his death in 1992. Can you speak a little bit about um, how that served as inspiration behind you wanting to tell his story? Because, you know, it's not every day that you have an artist that is using their work to spread, um, you know, a just social cause as David did at the time. Um, well, you know, I think what is so interesting about all of David's work and, and what is, um, was a big draw to me, but also I think helps um, decipher some of his work is that it was so personal. His life was so invested and it was such a reflection of what his life experiences had been um, and was, you know, at, at any given moment. And because 
uh, you know, the, the art, you know, the physical art itself is so much of it is collage work, whether physical collage and photographs and, and layers of stuff, or even in the paintings um, that are strictly paintings, there's still like various elements that, you know, they're really, um, you have to spend a lot, a lot of time looking at them. But when you, you know, sort of like pick them apart, you realize so much of it is um, David's life. And I think to be able to um, explore those times while also being able to tell that personal story. And with access to David's audio, the thing was as well that um, he shared his own personal journey. So like spending all those, you know, hundreds of hours listening to all these tapes and, you know, had them on my iPhone and just sort of walked around LA. And when I was in New York doing um, research, I'd be listening to David. And, you know, uh, you know so much um, of this audio is about his journey as an artist and trying to figure out what he's doing with himself at 26. And is he doing enough? And it's so like strip away the politics, strip, strip away the, the time um, it's recorded and it's so relatable to, so, you know, I it just jumped out at me. Like in that part of that process was, was also just being able to make it, you know, I think something that so many of us are going through. I mean, you know, as I said, to stumbling into the project, I wanted to do something that I felt um, would make me feel better about what was going on and felt that I was doing something and dive into David's audio and, you know, like go through all of everything he said and, and you know, everything he wrote and what everyone had to say about him. And, you know, he, he right there in the tapes says that, you know, if the work we're making as artists doesn't contribute to the resistance, you know, we're helping a, a um, system of control become more perfect. And it's like, well, that was the whole reason, I mean, not as articulate or succinctly, but that was the entire reason why I wanted to do this. And it's like for him to, to say that um, and be able to put that in the film, I think um, speaks to a lot of what folks would like to be doing or trying to do with, you know, whatever their work is, art or, you know, activism or daily life. Yeah, absolutely. I, you touched on obviously the hundreds of hours of audio that you were lucky and fortunate enough to be able to delve into through your research. And I kind of want to talk about that um, because you had exclusive access to a whole bunch of his work, whether it was his paintings, his journals, his films. Um, and I and it revealed how he pretty seamlessly connected his art with his activism. You also had rediscovered um, you know, voice messages um, and intimate recollections from people like Fran Leibovitz, who's, you know, such a known, you know, social humorist nowadays through, you know, her Netflix series and very relevant, um, but also Gracie Manchin and his former mentor, um, Peter Uar. Can you speak a bit about how you were able to come about all of these intimate recollections with all of these noted individuals in David's life, as well as these tape recordings of David? Um, well, you know, all of David's archive um, is, you know, very luckily housed at Fails um, Library at NYU, um, which has like this big sort of downtown archival collection. Um, and so, you know, getting into the process, I had approached his estate run by PPOW and met with Tom Ropefenbart, his partner. And so that sort of with them on board, I had, I got the access to, to all the material and then Fails was very gracious about, you know, just letting me dive through, you know, uh, with gloves, dive through stuff one folder at a time. I don't want to make it sound like a free-for-all. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but um, with the audio, it, you know, it, there were like 200 cassettes um, and that was a mix of the tape journals. There were maybe a dozen audio cassettes of um, the answering machine tapes, interviews that he did with friends, um, band rehearsals, uh, shortwave radio stuff that he recorded in when he was living in Paris, which is actually turned into the basis of the three teens kill song, um, stay and fight. All of those little sound effects are from, you know, some random Paris tape he recorded. Um, in any case, you know, with, with the, um, you know, the fact that he was so intimate and personal on his own tape journals really kind of set the, the, the style for the, the film and led to the way um, we dealt with the, the interviews because all, you know, the, the people that you mentioned, um, Gracie Mansions and, and Nan and, and Fran Leibowitz, and those were all new interviews um, that I had recorded. And, you know, because with David's audio, you know, the opportunity to really make it feel as if David is alive, alive and, and here, and it's, you know, very like, you know, um, immersive thing, you know, the, the decision was made to kind of leave everyone else off camera. And so that way, you know, you weren't seeing, you know, Gracie and you weren't seeing all these people 30 and 40 years later as, you know, a talking head doc would do and always shattering that kind of illusion. So um, doing that helped to make all of those kind of interviews come to life. And I think make David's, um, you know, everything David had to share feel very in the moment. Um, you know, the, the, answering machine tapes were amazing but also tedious because they're like no idea when anything was until we started listening to them and tried to piece like you know on, on the gracie in the film various answering machine tapes uh messages talks about the whitney retrospectives or the biennial in 85 so that was our little nancy drew moment okay this is 85 and like there were there were different things um like that and you know the discovery you mentioned peter hujar of those voices, the answering machine messages from him, it's like he's only come to life through that film, through those answering machine messages. There's only, you know, there, there are the messages and then there's um, a, a collection of, well, you know, there was one sort of interview David um, did with Peter. He was going to write, uh, do like an article interview with him, which I don't think he ever did, but recorded the interview and that is in the film. But, you know, the, the answering machine messages were so great because they added information, but really... Um, Peter, David's sister is only, you know, available through the answering machine tapes, but it's such a, a presence, you know, it's just like a handful of messages about, you know, being so proud of him and seeing the art and, you know, not being able to take a picture because she they didn't want to let her use the flash. Um, you know, there were all these little moments in, in the, that really felt like daily life. And so the things that popped um, became part of the film and, you know, that was how the audio kind of all contributed. Yeah. Yeah. So the audio, the archival footage, this is all stuff that you got from NYU with the exception of obviously the interviews that you conducted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and we got, um, you know, lots of, uh, there are uh, lots of photos from like Dirk Roundtree who's uh, in the film and uh, Gene Foose and the were friends of David. Um, uh, Andreas Sturzing, like all of the peer stuff, those are photos from him. We've got, photos from Mary. And so we were able to get things from friends and family as well. Um, I mostly from the archive. Yeah, I wanted to ask actually about friends and family. Um, what were those interactions like that you had with, um, you know, David's sort of 
social circle at the time, those who are still with us today, and his family members. I know that he has siblings. Um, not sure if his parents, I think his dad passed away before um, David did, I believe. Um, yeah. Is his mom still around? I'm not sure. Can you just shed light on who you're able to speak with in the process? Um, well, the, I mean, the interactions were great. Um, obviously, what helped um, the process was having Tom uh, Rofenbart and, and PPOW on board because, um, you know, Wendy Olsoff from PPOW, which was David's final gallery, really um, made all the, the initial calls or, you know, was there to like, when someone called going, you know, who the hell is this person emailing me or, you know, whatever it might be sort of like give us some um, cred. So that, that made the process really great. And everyone, you know, really loved David. So, um, you know, even, even, you know, he, even though he was difficult and, you know, um, I'm sure they all have horror stories as well um, of David and a tizzy. Um, but, you know, they, everyone really wanted to share those, those days and, and, and the stories and, um, you know, because he was so collaborative, it's, um, I don't know that that comes off in the film as much, um, but, you know, he, he worked with so many people, like, on so many different projects that they all also feel very, you know, they, they are invested in the work because there's parts of them in it as well. Um, and so in terms with, of the family, I, you know, I spoke with um, David's brother, Stephen, um, and he also has a, a half brother and sister um, who I met with and talked to and, and, and you know, shared a lot of great, um, uh, of a lot of, a good amount of their stories and stuff. And we didn't end up using it because we didn't spend that much time on the child, you know, in his childhood mm -hmm. um, because it was sort of like, you know, Terry, um, Terry from uh, 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 Fresh Air kind of takes it off, you know, kind of knocks everything out with that one question. It's sort of like she sets it up and knocks it down and like runs through his whole, the abuse, the kid, like everything. And because David didn't speak about it, we didn't really end up going there. Um, because it was kind of, you know, once you know something is shitty, it's like, you don't need to, to hear, you know, yeah. um, in any case. So, but the family was great. Um, and yeah, and I, I just had an amazing time because it was, done before the pandemic. So I was like running around New York with a recorder and I'd like start the day with like Kiki Smith and then um, do someone in the middle of the day and then dash out to Brooklyn and meet with Nan Golden. So it was just, I mean, it was remarkable and, and to meet these people and spend time with them. And because um, we weren't filming, it was a much more like intimate and casual and comfortable, you know, um, situation, as you know, because, you know, this is what you do for a living. <laughs> I'm used to sticking a camera in front of them. So it's always a different, you know, process. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you would just use like an audio recorder when you would casually meet with them and that would serve as what we hear um, in the film when we. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we did do, we did film um, a handful of interviews um, around the Whitney retrospective because at that point we hadn't started editing and hadn't, um, there'd been talk about not putting, um, you know, using the on-camera interviews in the film, but because we hadn't really, I was also working on the Frida Got a Gun documentary at the time. And so you just put that on the shelf for a moment. And then in any case, so we did shoot some interviews around that. Um, but yeah, everything was just me and a recorder. And of course, if we were doing this during the pandemic, I'd never leave my house and we right. just recorded everything, you know. <laughs> Over Zoom. Yeah. 
Um, I want to go back to sort of the explicit activist approach that um, David would utilize in showcasing the work he created. Is there a specific work of his that you sort of connect to the most that um, conveys his activist message kind of in a nutshell that you would really like, it would be like the first thing that you would recommend everyone to check out first that doesn't know about David? Um, well, I would say his writing. I mean, I would, I would say close to the knives, um, you know, there's a collection of his journals, um, memories that smell like gasoline. There's, you know, there's, there's several uh, books um, that he has put out that I think are worth diving into because, you know, and anytime you have an opportunity, like if there's a show or something, by all means go see it. But I think in terms of like pointing to a, for me, pointing to one of the paintings or, or what, you know, um, any one sort of physical piece. It's like every, David was so complicated and his life was so complicated and the politics was so complicated. And it's like, um, I'm glad and we're all lucky that he also was a writer and that he wrote and published and put these things out there because, um, you know, that to me is, is, is sort of like the, the clearest distillation of, you know, who he was and, what he was about and, you know, what he had um, to say and what the problems of the world were, Yeah, you know. Um, you produced this with Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbado, who are with World of Wonder, who you've worked with for quite some time now. Um, when you, I don't know, I would imagine that this obviously started with you. So when you brought this idea to them, how did they react and want to collaborate with you on it? Um, I, I mean, they, they were like, yes, let's yeah. do it. Um, you know, and as you said, I, I've had a long history with them. So it's, um, a long history and a, a history where, you know, they've given me endless opportunities and, you know, like really sort of mentored me. So saying some, you know, there's probably no one else I could walk up to and say, let's do a David Wojnarowicz documentary. <laughs> and they'd be like, yes. Um, and, you know, that's one of the many great things about Randy and Fenton is that like they are, um, you know, sort of courageous and fearless and uh, creatively courageous and fearless. And which is a great um, sort of was a great opportunity to learn from. So they were they were into it. Now, they had already done their Maplethorpe documentary. So they um, they understood some of the problems of, you know, whether it's just finding funding and getting interest because our dark art docs are hard and you know people can't even say david's name um let alone you know us be able to, you know, being able to walk into a room and you know say like oh give us money for a david Wojnarowicz documentary um and so you know they that um i think you know was useful on top of all the you know the, the creative help and input and support and everything and, and logistical. Um, but, you know, just sort of having gone through that, you know, I think informed things along the way um, for them. I mean, I just plowed ahead, you know, but when they, you know, with their input, I think, you know, that was partly in mind. Um, and, you know, thank God they are here because we, you know, we did a sizzle and we, we um, did go looking for funding. Um, and people were like, this is great. Love the sizzle. Can't wait to see the film. And so, you know, Randy and Fenton and World of Wonder ended up funding the whole thing. So um, God bless them again. All praise to Tammy Faye. Yeah. Um, and speaking of what you said earlier about like who would, you know, want to invest in this art, 
doc about someone whose name you can't even pronounce, Kino Lorber decided to distribute this film. We'd love to know how they um, found out about this project and um, what that partnership was like ever since. Um, well, uh, the film, you know, it was supposed to premiere at Tribeca 2020 and everything sort of collapsed and we sat around for, uh, as everyone did, uh, throughout this pandemic. And we were lucky to finally premiere um, at Doc NYC last November. Um, and it also won um, a little award there for its use of archive. And so, and so it got, you know, we finally got, the world got to see it and got some reviews and, and you know, I think Kino, um, through dealing with Synetic, who was, you know, working with World of Wonder to sell the film, um, you know, saw it. And um, again, you know, lucky that someone's courageous enough to put out, or I don't even know what, what I'm allowed to say on this um, podcast, but, you know, like, you know, courageous enough to, to, to buy and put out a film, you know, called Voynerovich, fuck you, faggot fucker. Mm -hmm. And like to, to um, other than being concerned about its, uh, you know, elements getting pulled from Instagram or Facebook or YouTube in terms of marketing, didn't really care about the title. And that's been, you know, that's been interesting too, because no one has really cared about the title, you know, which is great. You know, they've just sort of glommed on to, you know, they've, they, they've been uh, enthralled with David and, you know, gone on his ride, but the, the title's not been a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Kino has, has been fantastic and, by the time the film did come out, we were a year. In fact, it was exactly a year after the world shut down that the film was released, March 19th. And so they, you know, had had been do, working with uh, cinemas throughout um, the pandemic and sort of had like a virtual cinema um, sort of um, platform in place. So that helped and, you know, um, certainly. And then, um, you know, now it's on VOD and Apple TV and all of that, but, um, the fact that um, they were able to kind of use their experience and we weren't necessarily the first ones out of the gate doing this, you know, was, was very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, as you mentioned, the film was a selection at Tribeca and Doc NYC, and it even played here in LA at Outfest um, earlier this month. Um, I know it already had a distributor a while ago with Kino and it was released several months ago, but can you talk a little bit about the reception and sort of the feedback you've been getting as you've been taking this around the you know, country and the world, sharing this with new audiences? Around the Zoom circuit? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I've been, I've really been overwhelmed. I mean, I, the, the, the response, the review, the reviews have been amazing and it's not that the reviews matter. It's that, that they've, uh, they're so eloquent, <laughs> you know, and the way they've just sort of described what I could never probably fully describe what I was trying to do. Like we did it, you know, working with Dave Stanky, the editor, like we kind of made this thing, but I don't know that I could have explained what it was and to see people respond in a way that um, that's been very encouraging, but it's because there's so much David and that's the best part about it, getting David out there and seeing people um, respond to his voice and what he has to say. And as I was saying earlier, his journey. Um, and that's been really exciting. You know, it's, there's a lot of stuff in this film that I never, 
you know, I've worked on lots of stuff over the years and even like on the first season of Drag Race, like, you know, you don't really think these things are, are going to get seen by more than like four people. And, you know, being true to David and his work and his art and, you know, um, naming the film after one of his pieces and, and you know, the way we um, showcase some items and he, he talks about his work. They're just things I'm not used to seeing in films. Um, so I never, you know, and we just did it because this was David and this was his life and this was the world that made sense. But, um, you know, it, it, I didn't expect, um, you know, so I thought the appeal might be limited, um, which it still is, but it's been, you know, people have been very kind and, and generous and, and anytime someone um, who hasn't heard of David or wasn't aware um, of what he had to say or what his work was about, does come into contact with it and gets inspired to like both learn more about David, but also, you know, take his words to heart. Um, that's, you know, very exciting because that's why we do this. Yeah. Or try and it's, to. Worth, it's worth noting that publications like the New Yorker and Rolling Stone have named it one of the best films of the year, which I'm sure is, you know, so exciting for you as a filmmaker to be validated on a level like that is amazing. Um, I'd love to sort of switch gears. I know that you're still in the midst of sharing the good word about, you know, David and his life and legacy, but can you touch it all on any upcoming projects that you may be working on? Um, no, oh. I'm in, I'm in, a, <laughs> I'm in uh, San Francisco right now um, okay. uh, doing some research on some stuff um, and uh, very exciting projects going on, but nothing I can talk about quite yet. Okay, well, I guess we'll <laughs> leave it at that. That's a good tease. So we have something to look forward to again on your end, which is great to hear. Um, well, Chris, thanks so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for helping to get the word out. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Hollywood Podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind. Thanks for listening.